0: Good evening and welcome to this year's Shabbat HaGadol Drusha. not given on Shabbat HaGadol. Of course, Shabbat HaGadol is the Shabbos before Pesach, which was last Shabbos. There's a custom for a rabbi to deliver an address, which I've had the great privilege to do every year. And uh, of course, for the last couple of years, it's been on Zoom, so it's not on Shabbos, so it's moved to Wednesday. But this is an opportunity for us to gather as a group to be able to study together to be able to reflect on some ideas hopefully that will make our pesach seder more meaningful more enjoyable and more inspiring and i'm tremendously grateful to every one of you for joining tonight tonight is thursday wednesday night i'm sorry tonight is wednesday night April 13, 2022, and because I care about you so much, I want to share some important medical information, and that is that uh, a recent medical study is warning people that people that participate at the Seder should not eat both chopped liver and charosis because there's a danger that this could lead to charosis of the liver. I fear that what I want to discuss with you tonight is going to be very controversial, but it's not meant to be. Nobody should get upset about what I'm going to say. Nothing I say should be taken as an insult or a put-down to anyone's charosis. I am certain that you make the best charosis in the world. I have no doubt about that. I'm not asking you to change your mind. All I want to do is to present a deeper appreciation of the meaning and the significance of this symbolic food, charoses, hopefully to add to the experience at the Seder, and maybe, maybe, you'd be interested to try something new. Maybe you will like it. Maybe you will not like it but either way, please relax. There's no offense intended. There's nothing threatening that I'm going to present tonight. Charoses appears three times at the Passover Seder, and each time has its source in the Gemara, in the Talmud, and all three Sources are unclear, ambiguous, and complicated. The charoses, this symbolic food that we call charoses, is one of the items on the Seder plate. And that has its source in the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, Heviyu of matzah v'chazeres v'charoses v'shnei tavshilim We bring a plate to the Seder table that has matzah. Okay, many of us don't put matzah on the Seder plate. Some of us have matzah below the Seder plate. Okay, but this is what the Talmud describes. And chazeres, the marar, and charoses, and shnei tavshilim two cooked foods. Those are the two symbolic foods that remind us about the sacrifices that we do not have today. And the Mishnah goes on to say, mitzvah." even though charosis is not a mitzvah, still it's on the Seder plate. Well, what does that mean, first of all? I mean, if it's not a mitzvah, then what is it? Is it a custom? Presumably it's a symbolic food. Is it a requirement? It's not a requirement. Why is it on the Seder plate? But then the Mishnah continues with a second opinion. Rabbi Elazar says, mitzvah. It is a mitzvah. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that we recite a blessing, a bracha? I'm not aware of any bracha that we say concerning haroses. What's the consequence of this dispute about whether haroses is a mitzvah or is not a mitzvah? And Deeper, what's the reason for this difference of opinion? It's not clear. The Talmud does not elucidate that. That's the first place we encounter charoses on the Seder plate. Next, charoses comes up at the Seder in Manishtana, when the children ask four questions. It's one of the four questions. This too is based on the Gemara. The Gemara says is a Mishnah, Masak the Tractate of Psachim, Kosheni. We pour the second cup of wine at the Seder, which means we're about to start the section called Magid, which is telling the story. And that begins with the children's questions. Fakan, Haben, Shoyel, Aviv. This is where children Ask their parents the famous four questions. And one of those questions is using the text that's in the Mishnah, very close to what we have in our Haggadah, All other nights of the year, we don't necessarily have a ritual or requirement to dip one food into another. But tonight at the Seder, we dip twice. Once we dip the karpas into salt water, and the other time we dip the marar into charoses. Clearly, by placing charoses within the context of these four questions, There is a pedagogic lesson to be learned here. Clearly, there is some lesson that we want children to ask about seeing this unusual food, and our answer about what it is, is going to somehow be central to telling the story of Pesach. But what is it? The Talmud nowhere explains what that lesson is. The third time we encounter charoses is part of the ritual of eating maror, the bitter herbs. Remember that at the Seder we eat bitter herbs twice. We have the mitzvah to have maror, either romaine lettuce or grated horseradish and we make a bracha, and we eat marar, and then we do it a second time as part of korech, the Hillel sandwich. We take a piece of matzah, and a piece of marar, and some charoses, and we make a sandwich. And we say, Zeche lemigdesh kehillel. This is a reminder of the way Hillel told us that we are to fulfill this mitzvah by each bite containing all of the elements in one bite. We make it into a sandwich. But that sandwich has haroses. But what role does haroses play in the mitzvah of matzah? In the mitzvah of Maror. What what is it doing there? What is the what is the purpose? What's the goal? What what are we achieving by having haroses as part of the bitter herbs? Then there's another passage in the Talmud, which just makes things less clear, where the Gemara attempts to explain the last point that I mentioned. Why is Kharoses part of Marar? The first opinion says, Mishum Kappa, because of Kappa. What is Kappa? The Talmud explains that there was a fear that the marar, the bitter herbs, would be so harsh and so bitter, a person, God forbid, could be harmed by the bitterness. Of the murder. I mean, we want people to remember the slavery in Egypt, but we don't, God forbid, want anybody to get indigestion. So the charoses is intended to modulate, to neutralize a little bit, a little bit the bitterness of the maror. Okay? All right? You have to have bitter herbs, but not too bitter. Fine. However, the Talmud continues, Va'amarav papa, Rapapa says, inish Don't use too much. Because if you put too much charoses on the marar, you'll take away all of the bitterness and you'll only taste the charoses. And you have to taste the marar. And with a haroses, you won't be able to taste the marar the bitter herbs. So, so, what are you supposed to do? And here again, the Talmud is completely unclear about, first of all, what is the um, practical conclusion to that dispute? What are the reasons for the two opinions? And what are we supposed to learn from this to begin with? Is it part of marar Or... Does it somehow interfere with the bitter herbs? Is it a mitzvah or is it not a mitzvah? Do we eat it or do we not eat it? In fact, some people eat charoses, some people do not eat charoses, and some people dip the maror into charoses, but then shake it off. Because you can't have too much charoses, otherwise you won't taste the maror. The whole thing is very, very confusing. Very strange, very ambiguous. So, to try to understand this, to put this into context, let's begin with one more question. And this is perhaps the most controversial question of all. What is the recipe? What do you put in charoses? so the talmud tells us (laughs) but listen to what the talmud says rebbe levi omer rebbe levi says haroses has to have zecher letapuach there must be apples and part of the symbolism of the haroses is the symbolism of the apples Rabbi Yochanan, Omer? Rabbi Yochanan disagrees. Rabbi Yochanan says, letit It is a remembrance of the clay that the Jews had to use in order to make into bricks. They took mud, clay, and they formed it into bricks. That was the avodas perach. That was the harsh labor that the Jews were subjugated to in Egypt. All right, now, are those two different opinions? Are they arguing with each other? Does Rabbi Yochanan agree that there should also be apples in it? That's not clear. But the Talmud continues. Abaye Omer, Abaye says, Hilkach, therefore, therefore what? Therefore, tzarech but v'tzarech lismuche Therefore, charosis has to be tart. That's why it has apples, tart apples. But it also has to be thick. It has to be tart to remember the apples. But it has to be thick, like a paste, to remember the clay from which bricks were made. Tanya Kavase durabi Then the Talmud says, we have a source that supports the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan. The source says, tavlin zeicheletevin. We add spices to it. Nobody mentioned spices yet. We mention, we add spices as a reminder of the straw. The straw that was also used uh, together with the clay to form the bricks. What's the symbolism of the tapuach? Our rabbis tell us that when the Jews were being subjugated in Egypt, they were slaves, They were being beaten. The last thing that they had on their minds was any type of romantic relationship within their family. And it reached a point where families were simply not having children, which, God forbid, could have led to the eradication of the Jewish people simply by virtue of the slavery and the oppression. Our rabbis tell us that there were apple orchards in the Jewish parts of Egypt. And the apple orchards were very beautiful. And they had a very beautiful aroma. And the rabbis tell us that Jewish couples, married couples, Notwithstanding their fatigue, notwithstanding their humiliation and their suffering, they would stroll in the arbor, in the orchards, and they would smell the delicious smells of the apples, and they would become romantic with each other. And in this way, children were born, even under these circumstances. It would appear that the symbolism of the apples is opposite of the symbolism of the clay. The clay reminds us of the bricks that the Jews had to labor to build. The apple reminds us of the ability to find romance and love even in those surroundings. So then what does a baye mean when he says that the haroses has to have both? How could you have one food with a reminder in one direction and a reminder in an opposite direction? What kind of sense does that make? So we have no definitive recipe and we have no clear symbolism. Later sources give many different recipes. And basically, if you look at all of the recipes, I'm not talking about within cookbooks, I'm talking about within classical Talmudic scholarly sources, you will find two basic approaches to how to make charosis. The first is based on the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan, tit, it should resemble clay. It should remind us of the slavery, the persecution, the hard work. It's part of telling the story. So it's on the Seder plate. Charosis is on the Seder plate as a symbol of our oppression and harsh labor in Egypt. Manishtana, We're asking the question, children are asking the question, why did we suffer so much in Egypt? That we have this food that reminds us of this harsh labor that we had to do. And the recipe for haroses will include things with a sharp taste. Apples, but tart apples. Maybe some vinegar even. Something that makes it sharp like the marar. Maybe nuts to give it thickness, to grind it together in order for it to have the color of clay and mud and the consistency. Again, to remind us of the bitterness. And we eat it. With maror, because the theme, the symbolism of harosis accompanies the maror, the bitter herbs. And this is the the product that we had to produce that was done with such bitterness, that caused such bitterness. And if somehow the harosis we make is a little bit too sweet, we're going to shake it off because it's supposed to be bitter. It's supposed to be part of the murar. It's supposed to remind us of the oppression. So we don't want it too sweet. That would interfere. I will admit, maybe it was not the most diplomatic thing for me to say to my mother-in-law a blessed memory who for many, many years blessed us by coming to our house for Pesach and every year my mother-in-law made charoses and that's the charoses that we had at our Seder to say that it looks like mud. God forbid it, 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 it was not meant as an insult. She may have taken it that way. And I apologize. But that's what it's supposed to look like. That's what Rabbi Yochanan says it's supposed to be. J.A. Joel was a Jewish soldier in the United States Civil War. And he was in somewhere in Ohio, one year, and Pesach came. Listen to what he wrote home to his family. The necessities for the charoses we could not obtain. So we got a brick, which, rather hard to digest, reminded us by looking at it for what purpose it was intended. That's from the 1860s. It wasn't an insult. That's the chirosas that I grew up with in my family. It was kind of brownish, grayish thick stuff. The most common charoses, certainly that Ashkenazim are familiar with, usually has apples, it has usually some nuts, maybe a little wine, it's ground together, and again, I'm not saying it in any kind of negative way. It looks like mud. It looks like what you would use to make bricks. So, according to Rabbi Yochanan, who says that the purpose of charoses is to resemble the tit, the clay that was used to make the bricks. We understand every aspect of charoses and every appearance of charoses at the Seder. It's on the Seder plate to remind us of the slavery. It's asked as part of Manashtana to ask why we were slaves. And it's part of the marar ceremony because it complements And complements the bitter herbs and expresses the servitude under which we labored in Egypt. Okay, that explains according to Rabbi Yochan. But what about Rabbi Levi, the first opinion? It's a reminder of the apples. What's the reminder of the apples? Let me just be a little bit more explicit, but only slightly. Just reviewing the verses, the Psukim, from the very beginning of the book of Shmos, when there arose a new pharaoh, and he said, Havan is Chakmolo, We need to deal wisely with this people, the Jewish people, Panyirbe, because they're increasing so much. They're becoming so many. And they may join our enemies. So we're going to have to put them in servitude. And if we put them in servitude and we enslave them, they won't multiply so much. They won't be able to have as many children. But the Torah says, V'chashar Yanuoso. Just as the Egyptians enslaved the Jews and burdened the Jews, came Yerbeh, the Jews increased. How did they increase? Well, those apples played a role. Those apples, those apple orchards, that sweet, delicious smell of apples caused a romantic arousing that led to babies being born, that led to the growth of the Jewish people. In spite of Paro's best efforts to try to weaken us, those apples helped to make us more numerous. Now, the meaning of charoses is a whole different story. Choroses, according to Rabbi Levi, is a symbol of hope, hope as defiance. Think of those heroic Jews who were suffering in the Holocaust, God forbid, Nebuch, and as soon as it was over, they found mates and they had children. I've never been able to grasp the heroism, the level of hope for Jewish couples to bring new babies into the world after the Holocaust, but they did. It's a miracle. It's a miracle of Jewish hope. It's a miracle of Jewish survival. That's the symbolism of haroses. That's why we put her on the Seder plate. That's why we have a child ask. Because we want to be able to give the answer that you know what? There are struggles in life. And we as a people have struggled. And individually we struggle. But you know what? We still have hope. And we are defiant in the face of that struggle. And we can grow and we can believe in tomorrow and we can look forward to redemption no matter how dark the night is. And when we eat Maror the bitter herbs We can make the statement that we can struggle against bitterness. We can neutralize bitterness with hope, with optimism, by creating, by leading to a future. And that's a critical life lesson. And according to this, charoses is the counterpoint to the servitude. It's the way to overcome the servitude, the way that we did it in the past, the way that we have done it throughout our history, and the way that we will do it today and in the future, through defiance, through looking forward to redemption, with optimism, tomorrow will be better, no matter how dark it is today. Allow me to share one last approach. This is slightly different than the second approach I just shared with you, but it is magnificently momentous. Because there's another way that our classic commentators have understood Rabbi Levy's opinion that haroses should be made with apples and that is apples in a wider sense. In other words, apples as the first on a list of ingredients. Listen, please, to the words of Tosfos, one of the great medieval commentaries, who is discussing Rabbi Levi's opinion that harosa should have apples. And he says... In the response of the Geonim in the early medieval period, our great rabbis wrote, "Lasos charoses the hashirim." We should make charoses using the fruits that are mentioned in connection with the land of Israel in the book Shir Hashirim, Song of Songs, written by King Solomon which, by the way, we read on Pesach. This year we're going to read it on the eighth day, the Shabbos, the last day of Pesach. We read Shir Hashirim, Song of Songs. And that wor- work contains a verse, Tachas hatapuach articha under the apple tree. You aroused me like the ripeness of a pomegranate. The fig tree is blossoming and giving forth its fruits. In other words, Tosus is explaining that The recipe for haroses is not just apples. It's the list that starts with apples. It's the list of fruits that are mentioned in connection with the land of Israel in Shir Hashirim. And that refers to apples and pomegranates and dates and nuts and figs and grapes and spices. What's the significance of these foods? What's the significance of these different foods in Shir Hashirim, in the Song of Songs? Now, the truth is, in a sense, you could study the entire work, Shir Hashirim, the Song of Songs, simply in order to fully appreciate charoses. But I will try to explain it now in a very, very brief manner. Shir Hashirim, Song of Songs written by King Solomon, one of the books of the Bible, is meant to be understood on multiple levels. It is an allegorical description of the historical relationship between God and the Jewish people. It is also a mystical, metaphysical Lyric, poetic description of the relationship of each individual with God. And it is also a love poem about Eretz Israel, about the land of Israel. Shlomo Hamela, King Solomon, lived in Israel his entire life. He knew it well. He knew the places of Israel and he used those locations as metaphors and he knew the foods and the fruits and the spices of Israel and he used them as well as metaphors to describe all of these layers. The relationship between God and the Jewish people, the relationship that Every one of us has with God the relationship that we have with the land of Israel. Clearly, Shir Hashirim, the Song of Songs, is a book that is meant to help us fall in love, stay in love with the land of Israel. One of our great scholars, Rabbeinu Bachaye, says, the land of Israel is faithful to the Jewish people and will not give its produce to anyone else. He writes, all birds are faithful to their nest. But is the nest faithful to the bird? The nest Israel is faithful to the bird, the Jewish people. And this truth also has its source in Shir Hashirim. The description of the closeness, the intimacy between God and the Jewish people is described in the following metaphoric, allegoric manner. Elginas egos I went to dwell to descend into my garden. I wanted to be close with God. Liros. In order to see, has the grape vineyards, have the grape vineyards started to flourish? Heinetsu Harimonim Have the pomegranates started to blossom? In other words, is my beloved present? Are we and God together in Israel, which would be reflected by the flourishing of its fruits and spices? Hanitanim niru the flowers appear in the land. Ace hazamir higia, the time of singing has arrived. The call nishma and the sound of the turtle dove can be heard in our land. Hataena fageha, fig trees. Are blossoming their fruits Vagfanim Smadar and the vineyards are blossoming with sweet smelling grapes. Rayasi, Yafasi, Arise my love, my beauty, and come with me. li my beloved is to me, Vaanilo, and I am to my beloved the description of the intimacy between God and the Jewish people expressed using the metaphor of the flourishing of the beautiful fruits and flowers and smells of the land of Israel. When Israel blossoms, when I hear turtle doves singing in Israel, that is the sign of God's blossoming of love for us. It's not coincidental that the exodus occurs in the spring. This year we've been discussing why do we not follow the lunar calendar exclusively, which would mean that our holidays each year would fall 11 days earlier and circle around the calendar. But we don't do that. We follow the lunar calendar corrected by the solar calendar so that approximately every three years, like this year, we add an extra month so that Pesach is going to fall this Friday, not a month ago. Because this Friday in Israel, That's what's happening. Pomegranates are blossoming. The almond blossoms are open. The grapes are giving forth their beautiful smell. A month ago, that was not happening in Israel. That's the reason that we add a second month of Adar approximately every three years, because redemption is expressed by the beauty of spring in Israel. This is a central principle of religious Zionism, that the flowering, the flourishing of Israel is a theological phenomenon. It indicates the coming of the end of the exile. It indicates the increasing intimacy between God and the Jewish people. It indicates the footsteps of the Messiah. We refer to this period as the beginning of the flowering of our redemption, because our redemption is a flowering. It is a blossoming. It is expressed by the blossoming and the flowering that occurs in the land of Israel right now in Israel. The Talmud says when will Mashiach, when will we know that the Mashiach is about to come? Amar Rabbi Abba. Rabbi Abba says there is no clearer indication that the Messiah is nigh than the fruits of Israel blossoming. Explains Rashi when the land of Israel gives forth its fruits in a fertile, magnificent, beautiful, productive manner Uz Yikrav haketz, That's the sign that Mashiach is about to come. The Alah Kates Megulioser. There is no sign as visible, as open as the flourishing of the land of Israel. And we see it today, right now. And that is why Haroses is on the Seder plate. Haroses, with all of the fruits that are flowering and blossoming in Israel right now, today, now. Figs, pomegranates, dates, oranges, apples, nuts right now in Israel. We ask the question. Are the pomegranates blossoming? Yes. Look at the tree. Yes. Look in the market. It's there. Right now. That's why children ask this question. So that we can answer Elginas Ginas Ego's erudity. It's time for us to go down to our almond orchard. To see the almond blossoms. To see the dates and the grapes and the figs. To sense God's presence. Expressed in the beauty and the fertility of the land of Israel. And that's why we eat it with murar, because maybe today, right now, it's still a little bit bitter, maybe. But Ace hazamir hagia, the time for singing is coming. Dodili vaanilo, my beloved is to me, and I am to my beloved. We are living in the time of Smichas Tzmi Chaskulaseinu, the beginning of the flowering of our redemption. Bite it, taste it, savor it. Pomegranate, nuts, apples, spices. Charoses is a mitzvah at the Seder because it is the goal of redemption. It's the dream we have held for 2,000 years. And the dream is coming true today. These fruits are blossoming right now in Israel. And we can have them on our table, in front of our eyes, and taste them. I'll tell you the truth. Growing up, for most of my life, I never really cared for harosahs. I developed my own recipe for harosahs when I first researched this subject that I'm sharing with you tonight. I think that my recipe is delicious and I'm happy to share it with you if you like. You're welcome to agree. You're welcome to disagree. You can adapt it to your own taste. There are myriad variations of cherosis. But that's not why I made it. And also, my cherosis is aesthetically beautiful. Think of the green, vibrant colors green and red and yellow and purple. It's gorgeous. It's a beautiful dish. But that's not all that's also not why I made it. I made my charoses because when I see it on the Seder plate. And when I hear the question being asked about it and when I taste it, I taste redemption. I taste my love for the land of Israel. I taste rapture. I taste ecstasy. And I almost, almost, taste God. My friends, I want to wish you a great night and a beautiful Pesach, hopefully filled with redemption for every one of us in our personal lives and redemption for the Jewish people. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.